0: Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. You can learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us on Sunday mornings at El Dorado High School in the Performing Arts Center at 9 and 11 a.m. Hello, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It's Easter. Glad to see you all dressed up today. I love it. I love it love it. Good morning. Um, uh, this is a church. If you were coming in looking for Beauty and the Beast, um, can't help you. Uh, that performance, I think, is coming later in the summer. But uh, we are a community named Vox. Vox is Latin for voice. And, um, and we believe Jesus is God's voice to the world. And so we're big fans uh, of that particular individual. Um, I want to let you know, if you are new, welcome you can find out a bit more about us if you go to voxoc.com. You can sign up for something called a New to Vox Dinner, which is dinner at my house. Uh, to find out more about our community, you could sign up for um, dinner and conversation around Orange County. They're called Table fellowships. you can find out a little bit more about what, it, what the heck we're trying to do here. Um, and you can read about the fact that, that we have some convictions that guide our church uh, that we've built the church on. Uh, number one, we believe the church should be the safest place to talk about anything, and that it should be safe for people who are in process, people who are doubting and skeptical, people who are just working it out. We think the church, church's posture to the world should be one of love and service and not judgment. And we believe that church should be very, very intentional about reaching the next generation uh, and capturing the hearts and the minds of the next generation so that the faith that, that they are given isn't filled with Uh, Just the stuff that human beings invent, but like the core of the beauty of Jesus. And so uh, to that end, uh, we started a church almost a year ago. This is our first Easter service. Today we're having our first baptism service, so welcome. Um, And uh, anyway, we are big fans of doubters and skeptics and questioners. And so we always get questions uh, texted to us at this number right here. Uh, we get recipes and uh, clothing suggestions texted to us as, as well. So it's kind of is fair game, but we only put the questions up. So question number one: As a person prone to being late, I appreciate that you've started a few minutes after nine o'clock the last couple of weeks. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. We have eyes on you. We wait till you're here, and then we start the service. So perfect. Next. Why do people eat ham at Easter? I'm fairly sure Jesus did not eat ham. It is kind of ironic that we honor the Jewish Messiah by eating ham on Easter. I'm not sure where that comes from. Um, So enjoy your ham and and think about the irony as you're enjoying your ham dinner. All right, next. Next. Now, we talked about this last week. If Hanukkah is part of Sukkot, Sukkot was an Old Testament Jewish festival. If Hanukkah is part of Sukkot and Jewish history, why don't we as Christians celebrate it? Well, I don't know if, if, if this is news to you, but Christians are woefully ignorant of the fact that our Jesus was Jewish and that his disciples were Jewish and that the New Testament was written by Jewish people, except for a couple of exceptions and that um, Jesus' Bible was the Old Testament and that Jesus is quoting and engaging in the Jewish stuff of his day, as Americans, we just think you can pick up the Bible, yank it into the 21st century in English, and understand it fully and completely. And to some degree, you can, but you miss a whole bunch of other stuff. So I think knowing Jewish history is actually one of the best ways to make Jesus come alive and to appreciate his beauty. It's tragic to me that we don't celebrate the Jewish festivals, it's tragic to me that we don't celebrate uh, some, of the, some of the Jewish history, uh, the way that, that Jewish people had oriented their families. I mean, I think there's a lot of beauty there. Sometimes Christians will say, yeah, but they miss Jesus, so who cares? Um, and I just want to say, well, Jesus didn't miss Judaism, and, uh, and so Christians should neither." So I, I think there's this really unhelpful gap where we've divided Jewishness and Christian, and Jesus was a Christian, right? Jesus was Jewish. Christian happened after Jesus when the the good news about Jesus uh, went into the non-Jewish world. And so anyway, I think that's a big miss on our part personally. That's why we do a lot of Jewish history here. Next. In the Easter story, the women are the first to see Jesus right after his resurrection. When you think about the location and time period, women were treated as inferior. So who would believe that a woman or that a woman saw Jesus? No one, no one would believe or care what the women said, yet this, that is how the story goes. Next. If they were going to lie about the story, then uh, the author would have picked a man to be an eyewitness. What are your thoughts about this? All right, so let's look, at the Easter. let's look at one account of the Easter story. This is from Luke to answer this question. Go ahead and put Luke chapter 24 up there. So this is the resurrection account. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we actually tried to answer a question like, how can you Christians believe this is actually true? So we spent a whole teaching on, well, here's why. But there are a couple of things in here I just want to draw your attention to and answer. Oh, I'm sorry you guys get stuck in the front row. No, it's good. Well, yeah, you could. And be glad I'm not wearing a kilt, right? That's always my... All right, all right, here we go. why do you look for the living among the dead? And I'm sure they thought, well, because dead people usually stay that way, and it seemed like it was a good idea. The angel continued, He is not here, he is risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be rise, raised or rise again. Then they remembered his words, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven. Now, the eleven is capitalized because it's the eleven male disciples who were in hiding. So the women go to the tomb, the men are in hiding. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles next. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like Nonsense. Peter, however, got up, ran to the tomb, bending over, he saw strips of linen lying by themselves when he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. All right, now, one of the ways, the the, the question is, hey, isn't it interesting that women are the first people to see the fact that Jesus had, had risen from the dead? And that is interesting culturally, because in the first century, a woman was not allowed to testify as an eyewitness to a crime in a court of law unless a man um, who was a husband, an uncle, a father, who had ho- authority over her, was there to testify with her. And so one of the very interesting things is that if you're inventing a story and you're appealing to a patriarchal culture, the last thing you want to do is to have women be the eyewitnesses to the resurrection and they go tell the men. And so one of the, one of the interesting things about the resurrection accounts and one of the reasons why many of us believe that they're an accurate depiction of what happened is they include embarrassing details like the men were hiding and, that the, and the women were the ones that saw them. They, they name specific names. If you're lying about stuff, you never be specific. Kids, look at me. You want to be as general as possible, okay, in the untruth department. You never want to be specific. You just want to just general, general sorts of thoughts. Never name names that can always be checked on, right? Uh, They include loads of incidental details and the fact that the gospel accounts disagree on secondary issues. Like how many angels were there and how many women went to the tomb. And all of that suggests that they weren't colluding to produce something that was airtight. Instead, they were trying to get their minds around what the heck happened 2,000 years ago on a Sunday. And that's the reason why millions and millions of people gather today. It's not just for uh, Easter bunnies and candy and, um, yeah, and hallelujah for that stuff. Let me tell you right now, and ham. But there's a little more to it than that. So what I want to do is I want to just maybe present 10 minutes of, hey, wh- here's why this matters, um, and, and uh, I, I want to look at a, a series of texts written by a guy named Paul. Paul was a missionary in the first century. Paul was a guy who spent a lot of time reflecting on why the resurrection mattered. And so in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, let's put it up on the screen. 1 Corinthians 15, the biggest thing that he, one of the biggest things that he argues that it is if the resurrection didn't happen, then all of Christianity falls. Now, this is important, and let me tell you why. First of all, the, the, the faith in Jesus does not rest upon whether or not Noah and the ark was global or local or whether or not Adam and Eve were literal people, or whether or not Jonah was really swallowed by a whale. Okay, You can all have your opinions on these things. The entire entire faith of Jesus and in Jesus rests on whether or not this guy rose from the dead. So Paul makes this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, go ahead and put that up. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if in, fact, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins. Those who have fallen asleep died. They, in Christ, they are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people to be pitied. In other words, if you're here and the Bible's new and you're not sure about this whole thing and you're not sure about how this all fits together, please understand that the central proclamation of the Christian faith is that Jesus died and Jesus was buried and that Jesus has risen again. The stuff about okay Noah and the ark and the stuff about Jonah and the whale and all of those sorts of things, those are great questions we can wrestle with once we're inside the faith but the central proclamation isn't that you've got to swallow every bit of this to buy the Jesus part. It's the Jesus part that's the core and that's the central. And the most important thing about the Jesus part is that he's risen from the dead. But it's not just that the resurrection is central to the Christian faith. It's that it has implications for us. So Paul goes on, next passage. He says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, asleep here means death. For since death came through a man, Adam, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man, Jesus. Now, I want to look at this word first fruits. We've talked about this. If you're like a regular voxer, uh, you've heard this before. Uh, And I know you hold on to every single word that's ever been said up here, so I'm sure you already know what's coming. If you're new, this will just be such a fantastic image for you, it will change your life. No, we all, because we're good Californians, we all know um, farming. And we're very familiar with harvests, right? And so the word first fruits is always used to describe the first part of the harvest the very first part that's the guarantee that the rest is coming. Okay, the first part of the harvest that's the guarantee the rest is coming, right? Makes total sense. This is beautiful. What Paul is saying, look at me, not for too long, is that Jesus' resurrection, what Jesus, what happened to Jesus on that first Easter Sunday is going to happen to all of those in Jesus too. And in fact, what happened to Jesus is going to happen to all creation as well. In other words, the resurrection of Jesus is the first instance of God's promise to make everything new. It's the first part of the harvest that promises the rest is coming. And so the analogy I always use, and forgive the repetition, I grew up in the great state of Ohio. Applause. (laughs) <laughs> Come on, you um, off. And in, in Ohio, we have this strange phenomenon called weather. Now, it, you have it here, but it's just 70 and sunny. In Ohio, we have these things called seasons, right? And there's, there's winter, and it's cold, and there's summer, and it's hot and muggy. And then there's these transitional seasons that maybe you've heard about uh, called spring and fall. Now, what happens in Ohio is you get socked in with gray clouds from about November to April. And and it's cold, and it's sleet, and rain, and wind, and snow. But there's one day, usually February, early March, that comes out of nowhere. No one sees it's coming. That's like, all of a sudden, 60 degrees. Now, I realize in California, when it hits 60 degrees, we all put on sweaters and scarves. I get that. I mean, that's frigid. But in Ohio, when it's been 30 or 20 degrees for months, 60 degrees feels like Florida at spring break. And so all of these really pasty um, colors come out and, and, and work is canceled and school is skipped. And you have this one day in the middle of winter that is the promise, it's the foretaste, it's the advanced appetizer of what is coming later, right? Spring. This is what the resurrection of Jesus is like, according to Paul. It is the the spring day in the long winter of human history where God's promise to make all things new is shown, proven, and guaranteed. In other words, what God did for Jesus, God intends to do for all creation. So that's why it's called the first fruit, Now, the interesting part, though, is this. According to Christians, this has happened. And yet, the long winter of human history is still going on. Great, Jesus has risen from the dead. We're still killing each other, right? We're 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 still claimed by disease and depression and divorce and bankruptcy. I mean, we're still plagued with all the normal human things. So Paul describes what happens in the meantime. He says, okay, yep. Next, he says, Then the end will come when Jesus hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he's destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. And that's a boatload of stuff we could talk about. For he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. Next, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So here's the picture Jesus' resurrection shows God is going to make everything new. Meanwhile, we wait for that to actually happen, correct? We, we sit in the middle of this waiting time where the spring days happened, but winter still here, and we're waiting for the fullness of spring to come. And that is one of the hardest parts of following this Jesus today. The Bible is full of proclamations of victory and hope, And yet, we still live under the tyranny of suffering and death, of cancer and betrayal, right? And so, the scriptures invite us and the resurrection invites us to live at the intersection of two realities. The reality of suffering and the reality of hope. I'm sorry, my microphone is weird. Oh. Just checking. Oh, that's better. Maybe it's just when I stand right here. No, no, you play with that. You play with that. Don't you hide that. That's perfect. Listen, if I were you, I would be so bored right now. So please, if you're under 12, be bored. This is boring. If you're over 12, be bored, but look interested, all right? Just for the sake of me feeling good about myself, all right? (laughs) So don't you hide that. You solve that that puzzle right here. All right, big man? Let's go. All right. So we live at this really curious intersection of hope and suffering. Jesus has risen from the dead, so we have hope now that Jesus is still doing Jesus' things on the earth. He's still chasing after lost sheep. He's still welcoming lost sons and daughters. He's still seeking after those that are lost. He's still healing the sick. He's still doing all the Jesus stuff. And there's hope for the future, that there is a point in human history when God will say, Enough. Enough suffering. Enough genocide. Enough guilt. Enough shame. Enough fear. Enough. And all the tears will be wiped away. So the resurrection is a day of hope, it's a day of victory. And yet, that hope and victory is found in the midst of our sorrow and suffering. Winter is still here. The day has come and gone, and we're waiting for the fullness of spring. But we sit in the middle of the long human winter, asking Jesus, all right, could you hurry up? Or if you're young and unmarried, hey, could you wait a bit? So one of the things, <laughs> So one of the things that's so interesting, in, at Christmas, we asked people to, um, to write down the reality of their hope and the reality of their suffering as a way to kind of reflect on what living in this waiting period is like. And here's some of the things they shared: The reality of my suffering, fighting depression, the reality of my hope, hope that God will bring me joy someday. Next, the temptation to look at bad things, the reality of my hope that God forgives and welcomes me. He doesn't look at my mistakes, but he loves me. Next, disappointment with self and others, but my hope that you are my hope and it won't always be like this. Next, I grieve that my grown children struggle with infidelity, depression, pornography, anxiety, hurt, and sorrow. But my hope is that I look forward to Jesus' second coming, when healing will come, restoration will come, when God will make beauty out of ashes. Next. I have questions about my future, my marriage, my job. But my hope is that all my struggles will be worth it someday. Next. Waiting hurts. Can I get an amen? Waiting hurts. But my hope is that this too will pass. Next. I'm 30 years old and still don't know what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. I'm grieving because I moved back in with my parents and your parents are grieving too. (laughs) I'm sorry. The reality of my hope is I'm hopeful God has a plan for me. I'm hopeful he can still use me. Next, I'm disappointed with myself, my expectations for those around me, my anger, my impatience in this waiting period Jesus has us in. The reality of my hope, I have changed, I will change. Jesus believes, so I believe. Next, sadness of loss, disconnection from family, resentment, anger. My hope, waiting on Jesus to make all things new. Next, Waiting for the day I forgive myself. God is bigger than my mistakes. The thought of being single forever, the reality of my hope, is that God's grace and love are more than enough to sustain and be thankful for. Next. I doubt so much that I don't have any absolute truth. I lie to myself in order to open the Bible or pray to a God I'm not sure is really there. The systems humans have created that favors a group and squashes out love. My hope, I don't have any. And I don't know how Jesus is significant to that hope. I would understand if I believe, but I'm not sure if I believe. Next. Health, fear of losing loved ones to suicide, inability to provide everything my family wants, doubt, addiction, lack of confidence. I'm more thankful than hopeful, too tired to hope. Anyone know what that feels like? Next. My broken engagement, my abandonment issues, the feeling that I'm unlovable, that this is what it will always be like. My broken, twisted family, my sick heart and thoughts, my hope. There's hope knowing that whatever happens, I'm not alone, that there's forgiveness, there's life to look forward to have now. Next, if there's another unfulfilling job, missing marriage at the age of late 30s, unhealthy lifestyle, lack of self-care, and balanced life. My hope, hope of answered prayers, that God is truly in control of my life and situations, that I'm not alone. Hope of eternal life in heaven. My husband is not the partner I want or need. Now, I'm going to ask my wife about this one. I just, I'm not sure We don't have a family that, we are a family that doesn't have Christ at the center, and we love each other, but we are dysfunctional. My hope is that God's kingdom is here and it's coming. He never abandons me. God can heal all of this, but even if He doesn't, He's still always with me, comforting, feeding, and strengthening me. So, oh, we have one more. I grieve where I am in my vocation and life and how I feel stuck while being in process. Why am I not getting better? Lord, transform me. My hope, I hope for the second coming. Change will happen and there is a light at the end of the tunnel. I think that was, nope. This is the last one? (laughs) Oh man, yes. I grieve the way the church cuts out those who question. I grieve the us versus them mentality in Christian circles. I'm shocked. I've never experienced any of this. I have no idea. It has sent me into feeling hopeless at times. I rejoice in the big picture. These sideline issues that divide don't have what? Final say. We did a Good Friday service at a cemetery. And one of the reasons we did that was because for many of us, we avoid the subject of death like good Americans. We rarely visit cemeteries. We rarely visit the elderly. We rarely are um, around terminally ill people. And there is such an instinctual, visceral, existential rebellion against the sentence of death that we all have. Easter reminds us we're not meant for death. We're not meant to be torn away from each other in this way. We're not meant to suffer in these ways. We're not meant to live in the sorrow and the shame of life under the sun. That those verdicts don't have the last word. And so we proclaim, Easter proclaims both things that are true. On the one hand, Jesus has risen from the dead. There is great victory. There is hope now. We pray now. We cry out now. We're together with each other now. God works now. And there's hope for the future. It won't always be this way. But all of that happens right in the middle of the long winter of human history. Then even after the first Easter, people were still dying. Rome was still in charge of Israel right? Disease was still taking place. And so we sit in this weird place. We proclaim hope, but we proclaim grief too. And the way those fit together, Paul says very simply, is that we grieve, but not as those who have no hope. So I don't know where you're at today. Church is uh, far too often a place where you feel like you have to pretend to be better than you are. We don't believe that's a good or healthy thing. And so we believe in proclaiming both the reality of hope and the reality of sorrow. What we do as a community is that we respond to the scriptures. You don't have to do any of this, all right? If you are new, please, you are our guest. Just sit and watch. But every Sunday, we take the Lord's table together, something called communion or the Eucharist. We take bread, we take the cup, we take a piece of bread and we dip it into some grape juice, as a picture of what Jesus has done, as a picture of the sacrifice that he has given for us. I want to be very, very clear though, however, look at me. Just for a second. Everyone is welcome to that table. Jesus ate with anyone when he was walking the earth. You do not have to get cleaned up. There is no moral qualification for you to come down and take the bread and the cup. Those people that tell you you got to get cleaned up before you do this are wrong. The only kind of people communion is for are for people with unclean slates and unclean lives, and that turns out to be all of us. So it doesn't matter if you're bringing a truckload of faith or you're bringing just a little. You're welcome at the table. Okay? You take the bread, you dip it, you eat. You'll also notice... There are pieces of paper and pencils. We have a very vibrant and honest community that actually writes down the real things that are going on so that we can pray for them as a community. I had asked for prayer for a clean bill of health, and um, it, it felt wonderfully, the prayers of our community this week, as we got a clean bill of health after some surgery on Monday, which was awesome. So thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Sincerely, thank you. That was ridiculous. And if you're wondering, oh, what happened? I'm experimenting with a cure for baldness. And um, it could have gone sideways. The hair, the hair went south. I, I don't know what happened. Too much. It was too much. That, he sat through all of the rest. So what you do is you take a piece of paper... And you write down what it is that we can pray for and you fold that up and place it in a slot in that, in that wood plaque. Lastly, um, you'll notice these Jewish prayer shawls. This is symbolic of people who, it's a story in the Gospels where a woman who needed healing touched the hem of Jesus' robe. And it was a messianic thing. We've talked about it a bit. And this is a bunch of us come up and we pray for healing by touching the edge of that garment. Not that there's anything magic about the garment, but it's just a symbol, a way to cry out. We'll have, if you need prayer today, we'll have some uh, live prayer folks over there. And communion is gluten-free. If you're a gluten-free person, we love you. You are welcome in our community, and there's gluten-free communion over there. And then lastly, you're surrounded by some of the most generous people in Orange County, and a bunch of us practice generosity and warring against consumerism. And so participation boxes are around the room. We're going to take about, um, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes or so. We're going to respond, however you want to respond. Then we're going to come back. We're going to tell a story about baptism. And then we're going to actually go outside and do some baptisms. You may think this is my time to leave early. Jesus is watching. That's all I'm going to say. (laughs) All right, so I'm going to pray. I don't know. They let us out early. (laughs) Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for my brothers and my sisters. God, today is a day of great hope and victory. I pray that that hope would be pressed into our reality. That that hope would be a hope that isn't just cliche or wishful thinking but would begin to shape and define us so that we become less afraid and more faithful. And God, for those who are brokenhearted today, the many here who sit in the midst of sorrow, would you draw near to them in the name of Jesus? You say that you are close to the brokenhearted and I pray that they would feel that. God, as we hear the words written by people in our community of sorrow and hope, They speak for all of us. And we ask you, God, that you would hear the cries of our heart, that you would bring redemption and healing, but most of all, that we would be a community fervently characterized by the hope that we have in Jesus, a hope that is not found in the absence of suffering, but right in the middle of it. To that end, God, we respond, and we bless your name. Amen and amen. All right, wow, look at you mostly white people clapping, (laughs) I'm shocked, Um, I didn't know what to do, I was like, "Oh, hold on, there's clapping, Um, always on the, what do white people do, always on the one and three? (laughs) I have other gifts than clapping, that's for sure. Uh, what? Dancing? Oh, I'm a good dancer. You don't even know. You don't even know. Um, you don't ever want to see, but, um, so in just a moment, we're going to go outside. You do not have, of course, you do not have to join us, but there'll be nothing happening in here. Um, we are, uh, we're going to celebrate our very first baptism, so we'll probably screw this up some way. So give us your feedback, like, hey, we need chairs and shade and whatever. It's in a big grassy area. Uh, out, the, out those doors, and we want to make a big circle so loads of people can see. And if you're tall, let's put you in the back. And If you're short, you know the privileges you get. So uh, we'll put you in the front. But uh, baptism, just to explain briefly what it is, um, baptism it has been for centuries something called an introductory rite into the Christian faith. It has been the public declaration of allegiance. It is the marriage vows, if you will. Uh, it, is, um, it is the, the symbolic act, the, the word baptized just means to immerse, of, uh, of an old self dying as it goes into the water and being buried as it's under the water and resurrecting as a new self. And the reason God gave us this picture, of course, is that's what happens spiritually for those of us in Christ. And it takes us a while, of course, to work that newness out. But, but for centuries, Easter's been the day when, because we're talking resurrection, that people have decided to be baptized. We have extra shirts and towels. If, if you've never done this and decide at the spur of the moment, let's, let's do this. Um, so we're ready for you, but we've got, I think, eight people. You're going to be baptized. One of those is Casey. Casey, come on out. And uh, Casey, say hello to Casey if you would. I like that you waved and some people waved back at you. They're like, hey. How's everyone doing? Hi. See how intimidating this is? I mean, you see how good looking they are? I don't know how you do it every week. I don't know how I do it. I don't know how I do it. I I should get paid more. (laughs) Not really.
1: Should I take it away?
0: Please. I think everyone would want you to take it away.
1: All right. Well, um yeah, when the emails and all the announcements went out uh to basically ask people if they wanted to be baptized um for the first time in my walk with Christ, it was just a no-brainer. So I'll start it off with that, but going back and uh I grew up in a Christian family. Um you know, went to church. Uh you know, Mike you talked how Sometimes there be those services where, you know, they give, the band comes up and just kills it. And then the pastor is like on point and then they're like, hey, who wants to give their life to Christ? Yeah. <laughs> and as a teenager with yeah. my friends at Forest Home, I was like, yes, that's me. And I, you know, yeah. I was stoked on it. And, uh, but at the same time, there was still just this kind of lingering doubt that I've really always carried. Um, A lot of that stems from, you know, I grew up in a family where uh, our core family was Christian, but a lot of my aunts and uncles weren't. And just seeing they were amazing people, um, and it was always hard for me to wrestle with the fact that they, you know, they hadn't given their life to Christ. And I was like, something deep down just didn't feel right. Um, that that was happening, um, and you know you go to church and uh there 's just sorry, this is <laughs> a little challenging for me um, it, you know you, the church is you you always say how uh you like to judge the judgers, and that 's one of the things that I had always struggled with is. You know, we're supposed to be a people who are welcoming and and want people to come. And uh, it wasn't until, Mike, you would come to EV Free, that's what really changed my perspective on what it meant to be a Christian. You know, get out, live your life. You're doing mission work every day. And that's that was the start of what kind of changed my perspective. Yeah, um, but it wasn't until... My, Mike and Andy and David and CC started Vox that it really came full circle and that kind of just completed the whole picture of what I thought and what, how I feel Jesus wants a Christian community to act like. To hear the stories that you were going through, putting those up on the monitor, you know, the struggles that we all go through And to just be there for each other and to hopefully gain some hope out of that. I mean, this to me is what a Christian community should be like. And that's why when you, you know, put that out there for the baptism, it's a no-brainer. I finally feel like I'm where I'm meant to be with an amazing group of people. We're all going through our different struggles. I've heard so many amazing stories, both here up on stage, and just talking to people at table fellowships. I'm a greeter, so I get to talk to a lot of people. I'm just so blessed now. Um, And I can't thank everyone in here enough. I'm honored. Hopefully no one leaves like Mike said. I'd love to see you guys. They will. will.
0: (laughs) Just know it. Just about 20% at least. Yeah. And I I might be one of them. That's the reason I know, is that I... It's like been an hour. It's like, hey, we got this done, you know. But, but we want them to fall in love with you. So they can't miss this. They can't miss this. Right? Can't miss this. <laughs>
1: um, yeah. I had a script. I decided to scrap it when I saw Beautiful. everything going through. There's just, I could talk for hours about this, but that was just a little bit of a oh, snapshot. Wow. I'm not even sure if it made sense.
0: Yes, it made sense. <laughs> yes, it made sense. Of course, dude. Come on. You. <laughs> yes. Oh, so here's what we're going to do. Uh, In two minutes, we're going to stand up and we're going to pretend like we're all going out that way. Um, Baptism is a hugely celebratory thing. So um, you're allowed to clap. You're allowed to whoop. You're allowed to celebrate Uh, when people come out of the water. It's a big deal. And um, why don't you go ahead and, and take off? Uh, get you out there. Are you going to go first? Are you going to be the first person baptized ever at Box? That'd be, well, that'd be, you better hurry up, buddy. Go. All right, so when I give the word, you're going to do that glory, glory thing to march us out of here. And then uh, we've got a DJ out there. Who knows what the DJ is going to be playing, but we're going to celebrate. And, uh, and then we'll dismiss you after everyone's baptized. Sound good? Hey, thanks for being here. Happy Easter, guys. Happy Easter. This is so good. So let me, stand with me. I want to pray over you. And then we're going to go. Lord Jesus, I pray by the power of your great name, the power inherent in your kingdom, that you would shape us and form us into a community that acts like you and talks like you, thinks like you and feels like you, where people really feel safe, They really feel like they can come as they are. They don't have to pretend. And that they know that you are here. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would draw close to the brokenhearted today. And today would be a day of resurrection for the things that have died, for the hope that's been lost. But more than anything else, God, we give you praise and glory and honor for what it is that you've done to demonstrate your great love for each and every one of us. So in the name of Jesus our Messiah, we give thanks. Amen. Amen. Hit it as you go. And we're going. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Vox Community. Participate in the Vox
1: Community at Voxoc.com slash participate.